Hello and welcome to Living Being. I'm Patrick Randall. I'm Chris Park. This is the podcast where we talk about everything and anything to do with bees. This episode, we've got David Charles, who we spoke to back in April, May time, yeah. when all the hedge- hedgerows were really funky and full of blossom. And he's a beekeeper and a horticulturalist uh, living in Somerset at the moment. And I've been to visit him. His, his house name is Great Bickerton. And you might think, oh, that's a place in Cheshire or somewhere up in Lincolnshire. There are a few Bickertons around. Yeah. But it, but if you're in the know, you you, you would understand that a one of the collective nouns for bees is a bike of bees. Oh, and, right. And that's an old collective noun for bees. You know, so it's a swarm, a colony, but a bick or a bike of bees. Oh. And, and, and it's in, uh, in Tamashanta. If you've ever, ever been to a, a kind of Jolly Burns night where someone has recited that poem. Right. As bees biz out with angry fike as something assails their bike. So a bike of bees or a bick of bees. And Bickerton means a beekeeper's town. Oh, right. Or the, okay. la- or the landing place of bees and Bickerthwaite and Bickerthorpe and all that kind of stuff. So so this is a brilliant uh, name for David's house, where well, he named his house, obviously, because he is so knowledgeable about beekeeping history. And, you know, he is part of his beekeeping history. He's been doing it so long. Well, that's and, right. I mean, his history is, is his own history. Beekeeping history is his own history, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, and we've, we had a great time talking to him. And, and he's a, a jolly soul. And here we are. Here's David Charles. Hi, David. How are you? Hello, Chris. Nice to hear from you. Yes, I'm fine. Great. How's the weather down in Somerset? Yes, it looks to me that there's a, an opening to go out and look at some bees now after all the rain. Oh, great. Oh, good. So you're still keeping bees? No, no, I'm not. Oh, see, so you're going to have a look at what's foraging in your garden. No, I'm trying to make conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's try and stick to the truth. I know, I know storytelling is a great art. Um, right, so you're, um, you're in Somerset, in a place... I'm in Somerset, and I'm talking to you from Glastonbury. From Glastonbury. The, anci- the ancient uh, Avalon. Yes, of course. You've moved. With all sorts of things that would interest you. I know it well. I know it well. The old Isle of Avalon. Glastonbury yeah. is a wonderful place, isn't it? Great. Yes, great. and it's very good for bees around here and lots of cider apple orchards. Oh, yeah. Bees and trees and blossom. Lots of willow growing, isn't there? For, for the yes, yes. The, the willow's year. gone now, but it's always a nice early flow if the weather's nice. Yeah, good. So you've moved from West Pennard? To... I've moved from West Pennard into Glastonbury. Great. And how is that? Is that better? So I'm about... Uh, Two or three hundred yards away from the Abbey ruins in Glastonbury. Oh, lovely. Oh, no, well, great. But you've moved a lot in your life, haven't you? You, you began life in the home counties, is that right? Uh, yes, I did, actually, but I wasn't old enough to remember anything about it. <laughs> and when, when, when did you first encounter bees? Can you remember that in childhood or as, or as Well, a... it was a brief encounter. Yeah. That's a famous film. And it was when I was about seven or eight. Would you like me to tell you? Yes, please, yeah. Well, you see, before the war, and I mean World War II, my father was stationed in the Air Force. Yeah. 
and we all came home when Mussolini invaded North Africa. We hadn't got any home. So my father was stationed in the Air Force in Wiltshire, and we lived in two rooms in a very large house and shared a kitchen. And they had a very large garden there, and they still employed a gardener. And that's where my love of gardening came in, because I used to follow him, the gardener, around with my own little wheelbarrow. <laughs> and it must have been about May, a little bit later on than where we are now, because I can remember, even though this was uh, 75 years ago, that he was putting straw around the strawberry and then putting netting over them to keep the blackbirds out. And I was watching him because I loved everything about gardening, even in those days and flowers. Yeah. And I looked up onto the fencing that was going alongside the strawberry bed and there was this huge mass of insects on the branch of a, an espalier pear tree. Aha, swarming and I, mate. And the, gardener, the gardener's name, who didn't call adults by their Christian names in those days, was Mr Cleverly. I said, <laughs> Mr Cleverly, what's that great big lump of crawly, creepy crawly insect things? And he, Wiltshire born and bred, looked and says, ah, that be a swarm. <laughs> and that really interested me. And he said yeah. they, were, they were bees. And I knew even at that age that just over the fence there were allotments and there was a beehive, a nice white one, I remember. So it must have been a WBC. And I sort of connected the two. I don't know whether the swarm was taken or whether it flew away, but it sowed a little seed of interest in my mind. So that's what that's how I first became interested in bees was seeing a swarm. Ah, oh, what a great story. And what a blessing. Yeah, how about you? Oh gosh. How did I become interested? I'm a few years bees? older than you. You can't talk about World War Two no. like I can. <laughs> I know, but we've had conversations about beekeepers in World War One before, haven't we? I remember We that. have, yes. Yes, a wonderful time. Yeah. Mm. I remember collecting a story from an old beekeeper in High Wycombe district and Tim Bowler. The, oh, the, I knew Tim Bowler. Yes, the infamous Now, the thing about Tim Bowler <laughs> is that he had a hole in the front of his veil. And you know what that was for, do you? Yes. <laughs> Did he used to smoke his pipe through it? He smoked a pipe, yeah. and I actually have a picture of Tim Bowler with, with his veil on. You know, I heard he had a very big nose, and it was the drip on his nose end that just sweated away and rusted a hole in his veil. That's what I heard. Really? Yeah, well, he was in, he was in the trenches in the First World War. Was he? And you know what they say? Yeah, you know what they say about... um. About the First World War, or any kind of war, it's ninety percent boredom and ten percent sheer terror. So to ha yeah. he had a, he had a colony of bees behind the lines in the trenches in the First World War, and the story goes, yes, the story goes that he was then moved moved up the lines. So well, you think what a blessing that was to have bees in trenches. You know, it's not just nourishment, but medicine also, and and yes. something to do, something to do, something interesting. Well, that's but really he, interesting. He, so he was moved up the lines. Yes. And he was lucky enough to come back again from, from the front. Yes. And his beehive and all the honey had been stolen. His bees had gone and all the honey had been stolen. Really? Yeah. And so he recounted this story to High Wycombe Association when he became a member after mm -hmm. the war, you know, after the wars. Yeah. And someone, and so, would you believe it, somebody in the club stood up and said, oh, that was me. <laughs> 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 well, that is and interesting. That, yeah. Well, no, no, that's not, we're here to talk about you and, and your life and your experiences. And just like, just like Bob, he, he says, you know, uh, we've been told to do so many different things over the years by beekeeping associations. And now I do nothing with my bees and they're better than ever. And, and I think you must have seen a lot of changes 
in beekeeping, well, in I beekeeping have, yes. practices and hives and all sorts of things. No, what kind of uh, protective equipment did you have? Well, uh, apart from bales, and um, I can't remember whether we had cuffs or anything, not very much. You tucked your socks in and uh, turned your <laughs> collar up. Bill, yeah, Birmingham, Bill Birmingham, for a schoolmaster, he didn't seem to have a lot of sense to me because he went out with his jacket and school teachers had lots of different coloured ballpoint pens and a six inch ruler in their top pocket. Yeah. No bee suits, they weren't invented. And he'd lean over a beehive and then all his pens and pencils would drop out of his pocket <laughs> down in between the combs in the brood chamber. Yeah. <laughs> then he'd make a big thing of putting his hand right down amongst the bees to lift them out again. And I thought, well, <laughs> I'd only need to make that mistake once and I wouldn't do it again. Uh, did anyway, he get stung? Um, Bill was getting a little bit tired of running the bee club. Yeah. So after a year or two, uh, I, I just took it on. And uh, I thought, well, I, I need to get a hive of my own. Well, yeah. this girl called Hillary that I told you about. I she, remember, yep. She got herself a job at Wendover, at a, uh -huh. at a private girls' school that concentrated their education, centred around a school farm. Yes. And i go up and see Hilary at the weekend, and she showed me around the farm, and at the back of the yeah. barn was this gleaming white hive, so you know what sort it was, it was a WBC. Oh, okay. I said, that, that is just what I am looking for. And I can tell you that it was somewhere around the end of May 1962, yeah. And um, yeah. I said, you, she said, we don't use it. I said, do, do you think the head teacher would, would sell it to me? She said, I'll phone you up during the week. And uh, she phoned up and said, the headmistress says you can have it for a pound. Amazing. Well, a pound in 1962 yeah. would buy rather more than a pound would today. You can't even get course, ice cream for a pound. So the following weekend, I had a good excuse to go up there again. And I came back with this beehive. And I thought, well, I must set this up in the school garden. I've been allowed to put one alongside the school bees temporarily. Yeah, yeah. And it was Sunday afternoon and I was unloading it. I thought, well, all I want now is what? Well, swarm. Yes. Or, or some bees from somewhere. Yes, exactly. So I looked, so on, this, I looked on this tree near the school garden yeah. and what did I see? <laughs> Medium-sized swarm on a, yeah. what we'd call a bush-shaped um, apple tree or cherry tree it was actually, yeah, that's where yeah. it starts to branch out about 18 inches above the ground. Yeah. And around where the branches were coming out, there was a swarm of bees. And I just How thought lucky. to myself, David, if you're going to be a beekeeper, yeah. you have to get those bees into this hive that you just brought back. I yeah, burst yeah. into a sweat at the thought of it. I had no, no protective clothing or anything. So I shot home and managed to get some old net curtain that had hung up in the window at one time and a hand brush from under the seat, sink, yeah. and back I went, and I pulled my sleeves down as far as I could, or put some leather gloves on or something, I, I had no kit, and I gave a quick brush, and brushed them down to this brood chamber, I didn't have a scap or anything, and, sure. and watched, and I knew that if I'd got the queen, the others would follow. So I watched from a distance and eventually they all started to go in and I was thrilled and then I carried it over in the evening and put it all together. And when, when I went into school on the Monday morning, I told Mr. Bill Birmingham about it. And I said, I guess they're the school bees, so I suppose I'll have to give them back to you. No, he said, we don't want any more. You got them, they're yours. And that's how I acquired my first bees. Oh, what a great story. 
and when they started to fly about the 12th or 15th of March, all three of my colonies were alive, other people had lost theirs, I was thrilled and I was really hooked on it. So that's oh, how I great. started. Yeah, yeah. And you've only recently stopped keeping bees? I stopped when I had to move from my home out in a village near here, where I've lived for 40 years, um, yes. because I now live in a flat and I, I can't lift and do things like that now. So instead of keeping bees, I try to tell one or two other people how to keep them. Great. And uh, you know what I do, I study beekeeping history. Yes, and you never stop learning. And I've learned so much from you in the time that I've known you. And uh, and so t tell me about beekeeping history. You've written books, you've you've studied, you've whenever I well, I, I've written a book about you... Somerset Beekeepers Association. But yes. I want to I want to tell you about a man who lived not all that far from where you live, and he lived in a oh, little yeah. village called Compton. Right. Do you know where that is? It's, uh, it's I, off, I, I'm not sure I do. It's off the A34 between Newbury and Didcot. Newbury and Didcot. Yes. Okay. And there, used, so, there used to be a railway line there. And at Compton, yeah. there was a level crossing. Uh -huh. And this man called Mr. C.W. Dyer, in those days you didn't get to know people's Christian names. He was yeah, Mr. Yeah. Dyer. Mr. Dyer was a plate layer on the railway there. Uh -huh. And his wife operated the crossing gates, as and when they knew a train was coming. Coffin gates? Crossing gates, the gates. Oh, crossing gates, yes. To stop yes, the cars sorry, going sorry. over the railway line. Yeah, yeah. Like, when yeah, the train yeah, was yeah, coming. Yeah. That was her job. Yeah. We didn't yeah. have computers in those days, you see. No, she just pulled a lever and the gates opened. Yes. And there you yes. go. Great. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They may have had to go out and do them by hand. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it was very yes, handy, her being at home, because she could um, keep an eye out for the bees swarming. Ah, uh, yeah. The interesting you thing know, about yeah. Mr C.W. Dyer is that when he yep. was a boy, his father had a skep or two of bees. Lovely. And at the end of the season, when he wanted to take the honey, yeah. he dug a hole. You know what I'm going to say. Yeah, no. Yeah. And he yeah, bought yeah. sulphur, and he yep. made sulphur matches. And in his description of this, in print, yes. he's the yes. only working, ordinary, not highly educated gentry or clergy that's written yeah. about beekeeping that I've come across. He gives the uh -huh, most vivid uh -huh. description of how to make sulphur matches that I've read anywhere. <laughs> he watched oh, his yeah. father do this. He watched him right. dig the hole. He watched yeah. him put the skeps of buzzing bees over the pits yes. and kill them. Yeah. And watched his mother and his father gouge out the honeycombs and take the honey. Oh, yeah. And then when he was grown up and married, he decided yeah. he would like to keep bees for himself. Yes, yes. But he'd been doing some reading up and he decided right, right. that he wasn't going to keep bees the old fashioned way, the way that was was described as cruel and yep. wasteful. He was going yep. to do it the way that the British Beekeepers Association was encouraging people to do. Yes. So he he made his own wooden hives, a few at a time, until eventually I think he kept about forty. And some of the hives that he made he got from second hand wood when they were renewing the pews in the local church or chapel. He bought the uh -huh. old ones, which were probably pine wood, I don't know. He made yeah. all his own equipment <laughs> and he built up. Great, but, great. Uh, he didn't seem to have a very good way of swarm control. Well, he did. He had a wife to keep an eye out and take them for him or, yeah, or know where that's... they were from when he, when he came home. But yeah, um, yeah. they were at Compton for years. And to my mind, Mr. C.W. Dyer is the epitome 
of, the, of what the British Beekeepers Association was trying to do for the ordinary, working, not very well educated man who didn't have very much money to help them improve things for the bees, to make them more productive, to have honey for sale as well as for your family, and to improve your rural domestic economy. I think he is the classic example of what the BBKA was aiming at in improving beekeeping amongst ordinary cottager type people. Dyer describes yes. all this himself in a little booklet that I have. Oh, what a great story too. Thank you very much. And, and that's the kind of beekeeping that you have uh, decided to practice, the kind of BBKA style of oh, beekeeping. Oh, on, on the movable frame hive. I've yeah. never known anything else for several years. I've never seen a, a, yeah. a colony in a skep. But of course, right. subsequently, I, I became quite interested in keeping a colony or two in, in, a, in a straw skep. Yes, yes. I've seen you driving bees from a skep. Yes, and it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yes, it is a wonderful thing to do. And somehow, you know, somehow skep beekeeping, you know, is a thing of the past, but possibly very relevant to today also. And that transition from, as you were just talking about so eloquently, that transition from skep beekeeping to movable frame hives and a more sort of scientific style of beekeeping where you can scrutinise the comb and have a look at the bees and find out exactly what's going on and uh, look for disease and, and manipulate and manage and, and create these large artificial honey producing units that are very kind of productive. Yes. Um, was, 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 ha was what happened across the board, wasn't it? And, and, but, but right now, as we're sat here today in, in the year 2020, and for, say, the last 10 years, there's been a resurgence of beekeeping in the old ways. But, but what hasn't been revived is the, the practice of sulphuring bees or suffocating, killing bees to, to, to harvest honey. Yes, thanks uh, to, so what, thanks what, to what, the skill of driving bees. Yes, and other, other systems of management too. Mm. So uh, what, what do you think about that? Do you think that the, the, everything you've talked about, the BBKA's mission to, to educate these kind of rural beekeepers into into more refined ways if you like or more complicated ways and perhaps at that time more um, bee friendly ways uh, and do you think now the tide is turning again what are your thoughts and feelings about beekeeping as it stands right now today well i don't think it's turning very much but i think people that do practice keeping bees in skeps or boxes um, or even in hollow trees, because, I mean, tree beekeeping is, is growing. There's a growing interest in that, isn't there? There is, yeah. But I think they know more about controlling the bees and even being able to check on disease and that sort of thing, um, doing it that way. But I, I think it is a very small part of beekeeping, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've always primarily been a movable, a movable comb hive beekeeper and tried yes. to take advantage of what it enables you to do in the way of monitoring the bees. But I, I think it's just fascinating the way a colony of, of, of bees acts as one super organism and, uh, you know, um, the way they divide their labor up according to needs and all that sort of thing. So inspiring, aren't they? Social the interest. Social... Yes, I yes. mean, ants are just the same, but <laughs> I like to feel yeah. I have a product from my effort. So to me, having a crop of honey is also a very important part of it. <laughs> yes, most beekeepers do harvest honey, don't they? Some people mm. don't. Just want to keep them for the, for the love of bees. But I, I divide my, my beekeeping life, which I suppose now from 62 is, is now 58 years, into, yeah. Three, yeah. into three phases. 
you know, like they have in geology, the something period and the something else period. <laughs> um, okay. I, the, there's the, the, the pre-sheriff period, because Brian Sheriff was the person that really got the purpose-made protective clothing going in the, in the late 1960s. And when I look back at what we wore, I mean, one of the greatest inventions as regards protective clothing has been the zip fastener. And that was invented in the 19th century, but beekeepers didn't really seem to make use of it. So the first uh, phase uh, is, is the pre-sheriff phase, yeah. which goes up to about 1968. And then the next phase goes up to 1992. And I'm sure yeah. you know what happened in 1992. Uh, we discovered that Varroa was already well established in this country. This little yeah. mite that was to romp through the whole country and, and can probably be found in nearly every hive in the country now. Um, yes. And, and that altered the course of beekeeping altogether. So there's the, the, the pre-sheriff and the period between the sheriff and the varroa, and now this long 30-year span of keeping bees with varroa mites. And it's a lot more, it's a lot more complex than when I started. Oh, I don't know. Is it? doesn't have to be, does it? It, it doesn't have to be, and you know and you've proved it doesn't have to be. You know, in Africa, well, let me say that the... the British and the Western kind of mindset of combating the varroa mite was throwing miticides and pesticides and and you know uh, and all sorts of things at it, and the kind of African approach was oh well we'll have a you know some you know, two or three bad years but bees will adapt. Adaptation is something that bees are absolutely amazing at. They've been doing it for at least forty million years, adapting their behaviour and their genetics and 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 themselves to every virus uh, and pests and, and, and disease and and predator that's been that's been around do you think they're already adapting themselves to getting to live to living with the varroa mite certainly certainly are by I, selection yes yes certainly especially in this neck of the woods yes uh, you do yes mm. yes definitely and, and other pockets uh, wild colonies um what you might call survivor stock when the varroa mite and you know is endemic so it's in most colonies and most beehives the varroa mite is there yeah. And the, I would say the biggest vector for for bee disease and bee stress are beekeepers. So wild colonists that have this this tiny little mite that feeds off their fatty tissues and depletes their their the, the, the quality of their life and and their brood and, and can spread pathogens and disease. Uh, a colony that's not doesn't have the chemicals and and the um, the intervention and, and and especially the the manipulation of from the contemporary beekeeper. They they develop their own strategies, and you know swarming is one. Bees love swarming; it's very good for them. They want to be on new comb, which is healthy comb, and uh, uncapping sealed brood is another. So they will they will actively uncap their their sealed brood where the nymphs are growing, and the varroa might like to get into those cells and live on them on the the bee brood, the young bees. Yes. And the adult bees will 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 take them out and crunch them and spit them to the floor and, and you know but they they don't do that if they if they have all the chemicals and all the intervention from us. No, and that's a characteristic they've developed in the last 30 40 years. I'm sure they've been crunching invaders into the into their into their colonies for yes. many many thousands of years and uh, I know that years ago people used to go through uh, the, the hive debris looking at the dead mites and seeing how many of them had had legs bitten off and that sort of thing. That's right, yes. So, yes, in my experience, bees that are given the opportunity, bees will adapt and develop their own strategies. And, you know, the world is a toxic, toxic place anyway, isn't it? Full of, 
you know, some even babies are sometimes born with toxins in their livers, you know, and and uh, so to have a less, um, a more organic environment, I would say, is is a great thing. Yes, but that's the thing that interests me about people with honey. They say, well, what's that in the honey? You know, it's a bit of a, a bee's leg or something like that, which won't do you any harm if you eat it. it. It's what you can't actually see that we don't really want inside our digestive systems. Chemicals that have found their way into the honey, and this is rather sad. Yes, yes. Well, what can we do about that? How can we support bees? And how, how, how do you support bees? I mean, obviously, you're a keen gardener, RHS trained, so how would you how would you encourage your friends and listeners to to support bees in a simple way that everybody could do perhaps? Well, increasing the forage available for them. Yeah. So people need to know what sort of plants, what sort of flowers bees like to work on. Yeah. And sometimes some flowers are only attractive to bumblebees. Sometimes for mechanical reasons, because of the length of their tongues. Yeah, but I mean, there's a great drive now to 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 grow bee-friendly plants. Right. Uh, I think the main thing with honeybees is uh, people don't always understand that the bees aren't interested in perhaps just one odd flower, and they like a big patch of flowers. It's worth spending a bit of time on foraging. Yeah, it's a good point. So you need, yeah, otherwise they'll they'll just go somewhere else. And you know, you yes. know, um, weeds. If, if you, you know, we have a bit of scrubland here on the farm and where lots of thistles grow and lots of burdocks, lots of brambles and all of those things. That, you know, if you leave a piece of land just wild, it's perfect for bees. Yes. Bees love thistles. They, they love um, the burdocks and the ground yes. ivy and, the, and the, uh, the brambles in the trees. They even go for um, oilseed, no, not oilseed, I'm thinking of that other yellow flower that you meant to pull out when you say it, ragwort. Yes. So, so many things that we weed out and consider as to be kind of, you know, um, just scrubland plants that are unattractive or might, or might be a bit invasive, perhaps. Uh, bees love. Yes, but I, I'm very keen on trees, too. I do encourage people to plant trees. Yeah, great. So more planting, more green spaces, more bees. Yes. Um, Less humans. <laughs> oh, that, or should, yeah. I should say f fewer. <laughs> Fewer humans. Who knows? I mean, an acre of land for every homestead, that's what I say. I think, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think there's enough space to go around. It's how we use it. And, and uh, that's a whole other, mm. whole other topic, isn't it? <laughs> but but, there, but there are certainly more people keeping bees now and more people who are aware of the importance of bees. Yes. Which can yes. only be good. Mm. So why are bees important? Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, we know... Well, we haven't and, said uh, anything much about yeah, but, pollination yet, have we? No. Now, I, I wanted to mention hybrid flowers, actually. When, when you talked about buying flowers for bees and you might see, somebody might see something, I think well, that I've heard that those are good for bees. If you buy a hybrid, they can quite often not be as attractive to bees, can't they? Yes. Uh, what's your RHS kind of um, background on hybrids and, and, uh, and pollination and, and forage? Well, I'm not at all fond of double flowers. Right. There's a lovely tree in flower at the moment, all around. There was one I left behind in my own garden, but I didn't particularly like it. Yeah. And there's two in the supermarket car park near to where I live yeah. of double hawthorns. Oh. And somebody said to me this morning, what's a double hawthorn then? Well, I said, it's a hawthorn with a lot more petals than the ordinary wild may or, or hawthorn. Yeah. Um, and, and don't therefore deliver the, the pollen or the nectar that a single flower oh, would do. I so see. 
I'm, I'm very keen on single flowers and species rather than, than double ones and ones that have been bred uh, to the detriment of, not, of giving forth nectar and pollen because double flowers will have yes. f- far less um, stamens. Yeah, so Mother Nature knows best. Yes. Yes, I'm not saying there isn't a place to have some of these, and they're, yeah. they're very beautiful, but I mean, I think there's a charm to a single flower that a double flower doesn't have. Right, yeah, for, the, for our, our delight and satisfaction, I suppose. You, you take the cherry, for example, because if the weather's nice enough, the bees will work cherry, and a single cherry f- flower, the, the ones that we get our fruit from, it's a beautiful, dainty, delicate, lovely flower. But the yeah. big double cherry flowers that people plant in their gardens, and a lot oh, of them are Japanese varieties, you get a bit of wind and rain and all the flowers are down on the pavement. Yeah, so, so your advice is therefore, you know, stick to native uh, plants. Well, not necessarily native plants, but stick to... No, not, not necessarily, stick no. To, um, to, to a single flowered uh, varieties. Yes, and, and with, with the trees, you know... Most trees flower, even if the flowers are insignificant. But the bees used to used to get early pollen from the from the uh, elm trees till we had Dutch elm disease. Right, of course. Well, they're coming back, aren't they? I've heard that there's a new strain of elm that is now well, beetle resistant. Well, they are a good source of early pollen. But I mean, the the, uh, the sycamores, the uh, the field maples yeah, in the same yeah. family. The lime trees, many different species that will give lime flower from end of June through to August. Oh, so true, so true. The bees here, they've been on, they've been on the blackthorn for for a few weeks, and then the cherries, and now the hawthorns out, and the, so they just have. It's like everything has flowered at once this year, or just back to back and overlapping. It's been a great season so far for bees this year. Yes. Great. So uh, I'd like to ask you a couple more questions, and just wonder, I'm wondering, what 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 would what is your worst what was your worst beekeeping experience and what might have been your kind of your kind of shining moment your hiatus of your beekeeping life my worst beekeeping experience um i think was getting a severe stinging taking a swarm and i've not been keeping bees very long yeah but i came home from school from my work to find that my bees at home had swarmed. This is about 1970. Yeah. But they'd swarmed on the branch of a tree that was in next door's garden, not in my own. Well, I wasn't going to let a swarm go, so I went round with the stepladders. I was sort of led to believe um, by this uh, Bill Birmingham, oh, well, you don't need to dress up or anything very much. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't. I was very anxious to get these bees back home before anybody came back from work next door. Yeah. So um, I, I got up and got the skep nicely underneath the swarm. And they were, they were on branches that were crossing each other yeah. in an awkward place. So I gave it a good shake. Yeah. But because of the way it was situated, yeah. half the bees sort of came over and landed on the back of my hand that I was holding the skep with. Yeah. Yeah. And they landed with a heavy plop. Yeah. Yeah. And they all dug in. <laughs> so I gave my hand a quick shake, yep. got down the stepladder, and the back of my right hand was absolutely plastered with stings. Gosh. And I could feel it, the venom going did, through me. Did you swell and up? I quickly went back home yeah. and I lay down and I, I was getting to feel worse all the time. And I looked at the window. I was lying on my bed. I looked at the window 
and the window was like a flashing a flashing light in in oblong the same shape as the window uh-huh. and then i suddenly said no i'm going to be sick yeah. no i want to go to the toilet to sit down on it yeah it's both ends at once right <laughs> it's quite a purgative so I experience got, <laughs> I, I don't know how i can explain this i'll have to leave it leave the imagination to how i felt but i went into the bathroom and knew no more because i passed out no, I, no. um i wasn't sick um and when I came to, oh, in those days, 1960s, we had linoleum on the floor and it was oh, like yeah, black yeah. and white checkerboard. <laughs> yes, great, great. And I came to on the bathroom floor yeah. and I, all I could see was these little black and white squares. And I was saying, what are these little black and white squares? And somebody had hold of my arm and the doctor had already been sent for and he was giving me an injection. Oh, so, so, so I said to him, I said to him, I suppose I shall have to give up beekeeping. Not at all, he said. Not at all. That was a great relief to me. No, yeah. he said, I'll give you some. I'll give you some tablets that you should carry with you. Okay. What were they? Um, antihistamine or? Yes, and antihistamine. Yeah. Yes. And did you, were there such things as, as epipens in those days? No. 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 Never had one. No. So I gained. I gained gained my confidence. I gained a little bit of knowledge from experience. Yeah, and you probably gained quite a lot of medicine and and. Uh, <laughs> from that experience, I say, bee venom is such, yes. such a great medicine. I mean, obviously, uh, it's um, you know to be very careful with that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, how, did you become allergic? Did you have you? Be, did, well, you obviously got stung since, and, didn't, and but not in such a great. Um, no, great, I uh, mean the odd sting or two. Sometimes I have to think, hmm, which hand did I get stung on when I was doing yeah, that beekeeping? Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, it wasn't always like that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Great. And, and how about? Your finest experience in beekeeping, or or your, or or bee-related experience, in regard to in regard to you and your life, and maybe it's yet to come. But can you think of well, your, your, your perhaps your most proud yes. moment, or your most successful moment, or your most awe-inspiring moment? Yep. This is what I say about my beekeeping. Yeah. That it's greatly enhanced my life through the people that I've got to know here, here. and the places. To which I have been, yeah. you know, Appenbondia, Vancouver, um, Kiev, uh, Dublin, various places, and on the continent, in the Black Forest, Switzerland, France, Loire Valley, and seeing the troglodytes. Trogli- <laughs> troglodytes. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> The, the cave dwellers yes, yeah, yeah. with their bees up the Loire Valley. Yeah. I've had such wonderful experiences That's great. and got oh, to know so yes. many people. Mm-hmm. How would I have known you through beekeeping exactly. if it hadn't yeah. been for beekeeping? Exactly, yeah, we'd just kind of yes. sneered at each other walking along the highway. Yeah, so it's been, it's been really great. <laughs> and now that I've been forced to give it up, I can't really grumble after 57 years. But you're still a part but of the beekeeping community, David. I, you are I, a part of beekeeping history. I, I, I love the historical yeah. side of it, and I still look things up. Um, I still write one or two things for magazines and so on, excellent, and uh, yeah, I still get pleasure out of it. Good, good. Mm. Oh, and if there was any advice you might give to somebody who was interested in beekeeping, or you know, whether it's for whatever reason, uh, what would your advice be? Yeah, just a well, sentence. Or, or... One, big, one big change from when I started in 1962. Yeah. I knew of no classes that you could go to to learn beekeeping. Uh-huh. You joined your local association and went along to meetings. 
That's old school, isn't and it? You just learn from your mentor or something. Tried to befriend people, hoped someone would befriend you, which <laughs> happened in my case. Yeah. So that I had two or three people that I could call on. That's the first test. Um, and went, went to the meetings, but it was not structured in any way. No. But these days, local associations have been able to get grants, yeah. establish yeah. their own apiaries and apiary buildings, and run classes. And I would say that anyone that is thinking of starting bees, the first port of call, all right, well, everybody says, what book shall I get? And I'm not going to attempt to recommend them yeah. because everybody recommends a different one. But uh, you get a good book and you join your local beekeepers association and you run a, you take a course for beginners. Yes. And, and you never stop learning from there on. No, still learning. Yeah, good. Great. Well, David, you're an absolute star. Thank you for taking this time. A great pleasure to talk with you, Chris. And is there, is there anything else you feel like you wish to impart? Any wisdom or any, any knowledge or any other anecdotes? I, I think looking back at what previous people have done yeah. is, is very interesting. Yeah. But I, I think you need to have a bee buddy, really. Somebody that you can rely on to turn to or you may need help to move hives yeah, and that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. If you've got a good, reliable beekeeping friend, that is invaluable. Great. Yeah, so you can, mm. you can learn online. You can do a lot yourself. But if, if you've got a shared interest and, and it, you know, you could call it a small special interest group, couldn't you, beekeeping? Yes. Then, uh, oh, yes. Then, uh, it can be a, a community effort, can't it, certainly? Yeah. Family effort. I loved what yes. you said earlier about, about the... Uh, the woman uh, opening the gates and being close to the hives. And it reminded me that you know, today's life can be so far flung. We can be whizzing about here and there. You know, families are so spread out all over the world. And our work might be in a different county, you know, to the one we live in. And uh, there's something about beekeeping that can bring you home. That can yes, put your, put your feet on the ground. It can draw, yes. draw a closer horizon around yeah. you. And, if, and, if, and I, I, I have to say, and you'll probably think that winds it up nicely, but with bees, you know, a working man, you can still do it because you can do beekeeping outside your work hours, hopefully, and at weekends and holiday times and so on. Yes. But for me, getting home after a day at school with possibly a meeting after school and then lunchtime and that sort of thing, you get home really a bit tired out and stressed, make a mug of tea go down the garden, yeah. sit on a stool next to the beehives and watch them going in and out. It has a wonderful it calming does. effect. They're so busy, they take all the busyness out of you, don't they? they, they Absolutely. Great. And you know, there, there, there is science in the sorcery as well. The, the air that issues out of a beehive is full of, yes, full you, of all, the, all, the, all the antifungal, antibacterial, negative ionic forces of the... Um, of, of what's going on inside the hive, and that and that can calm us down in a in a in a great yeah, way. So I, I always say a good beekeeper can learn a lot just watching the entrance very, of the hive. Very true. Yes. Excellent. And you you are you are a in I don't know you're in your eighties, and you are many beekeepers uh, become uh, reach a, a great length of days and years. And some people say that the beekeeping is the oldest, uh, not the oldest profession. <laughs> That's a different story. No, the, the beekeeping is um, is the profession of people that grow oldest. Um, and I'm not sure, is that because a lot of retired people who have already made it to old age become beekeepers? Or is it the other way around? What do you, what do you think? I, th I think it has a good effect on your 
metabolism, yeah. Yeah. you've got a feeling of contentment, feeling of purpose. Uh -huh. And, and always, if you lose interest in things, well, there's not the same will to live, is there? That's true. And you're always looking ahead. That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That and what didn't go right this year, you're going to get it right next year. That's right. And you're connected to the seasons intimately and the changing of the wheel of the year. And you're right, it's inspiring. Bees are, are never fail to inspire. And when one is inspired, uh, you're literally marvelling at the world, aren't you? And that's good for you. It, it feels good. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good. I've met such interesting people through bees as well. Yes. Yeah, haven't we all, haven't we all? And, okay. <laughs> well, I met you for a that's start. That's right, that's right. We all, we're all, uh, we all do it differently, don't we? And yes. thanks for sharing the way you do it. And I'd love, I could talk to you for hours, David, and maybe we'll do this again sometime. Well, and, yes, that would be very pleasant. Yeah, mm. I did dig out a recording that I made when I came down to visit you once. Actually, I have to send that to you. Oh, yes, I remember, yes. So words are wonderful. And <laughs> there's, a, there's actually the, the word for word in ancient Chaldean is the same word as the word for bee. Is it? Uh, yes. And it's, well, there you are. I'm learning now. Yeah, and it's the word dabar, D-A-B-A-R. Dabar was the word both for bee and for word. And it became... Well, I, did, I didn't know that's that. That's fascinating. And in Hebrew, it became the word devorah, which became the name Deborah. Really? Debbie. Yes. And if you think about that, that particular mythology that led into um, Judaic and Christian mythology, you have this saying, in the beginning was the word. Yes. And therefore, in the beginning was the bee. Yes. And if you think about the mellifluous, I don't know, medium-used words of the ancient bards of Britain, and honey and beekeeping and honey hunting uh, perhaps has helped the human species evolve and who knows who knows there, there are many theories but uh, that's just that's just something for you to mull over and muse upon over over the your your um, yes because without being fully domesticated they've lived alongside man for a long time oh it's really nice listening to you talking to david there he just sounds like a, a really knowledgeable uh, guy, I'd love to meet him actually um, in the flesh because he's got so much experience with with bees, and um, it's great to hear all this knowledge um, pre Varroa, way before uh, bee suits. Even that stuff he's saying about you know protection, we we go in armed with uh, um, you know sort of suits and, uh, and as if we're going into battles sometimes. And uh, I just love that idea that, that they didn't really used to wear anything much in terms of protection. Yeah, yeah, and you know, beekeeping gloves. If you if you don't wear gloves, it can make you more sensitive. Yep, and it, you can feel where there's a bee underneath a frame that you might be lifting, and all those kind of things. And you, you know, your gloves get stuck to propolis and things like that. So, it, it, and you get, uh, I don't know, I don't know. I think it's. I went through a phase of not wearing gloves. Yeah, and it depends what I'm doing. You know, sometimes if a uh, if if you're going to be stealing honey, yeah, wear some gloves. But if you're just just um, tinkering around with the bees a little bit, try try not wearing them. Do do you wear gloves, Patrick? Well, I no, tried not to. Yeah, I've tried not to. Uh, I've tried, but it depends very much, you know, what the activity is. So as you say, um, if I feel uh, I need a bit more protection, then I will will definitely put gloves on. But uh, I have for quick for a quick manipulation of something, a quick thing that I'm doing. Uh, I've tried not wearing gloves. 
and um it's great it's actually you're right it's just a really good feel and you feel sort of a bit closer to yeah. the bees in some ways and, and david when he began beekeeping i guess we hadn't imported so many productive perhaps more aggressive strains of bee and perhaps bees were just i mean you hear you hear conflicting stories actually you hear conflicting stories about the old dark british european bee about how they were some people say oh they were much calmer and other people say they were much more aggressive. But I, 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 you know, I guess you look at old photographs as well of old beekeepers with hardly any protective clothing on, you know, with a skep full of bees or a hive open. And you think, oh, they're, they're nice, calm bees. Yeah. I, um, you know, it's just interesting that, I was, that I've been noticing, you know, year three now, what you were saying earlier on about going in and taking honey and stuff. Obviously, they're not happy about that. So um, they can be a bit more aggressive at that point. And also with, with the oilseed rape we've been having around here, notice that um, when they're on the oilseed rape, they can be a bit more tetchy. But uh, at other mm. times of year, they... And also if you haven't been into the hive for a while, you can go in and they don't even notice you're there. So it's, it sort of varies, doesn't it, even with the same colony? Yeah. And when the wasp season comes upon us and they start to be more defensive yeah because wasps have been trying to get in and they so they're on guard yeah Mm. yeah against anything yeah i love uh, david's advice to just inspiration really to 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 new beekeepers um and uh the advice he 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 gave there and also um just his knowledge on plants so that clearly really helps with his Mm -hmm. beekeeping and his observation uh, because he he knows a lot about um about plants and flowers yeah, he's he's a good horticulturalist. Trained, didn't he, with the RHS? Yeah. You had any bee moments this week, Patrick? You, well, I, I'm just noticing. I just I just feel that we've we've reached the peak. In a way, I feel quite sad that the season's going to be coming. To, I mean, I'm anticipating the season coming to an end. You know, is that? Do you feel that or? I yeah, it's not quite yet. I think when the clover goes over. Yeah, you know, so clover is still flowering here, but when it turn, when they turn into those small, sort of feeble-looking brown little seed heads, <laughs> there's a sort of melancholy feeling. Right. Or when the when when the hawthorn berries start to turn a, a, a bit darker on the tree, there's that kind of sense of oh, summer's over. Right. Yeah. Um, but but here we're right in the middle of a really strong nectar flow at the moment. With you know the clover still going, the burdocks and the bryonies and the. the all the willow herbs are in full force. All the brambles are still going. There's so much out there that yeah. um that the bees are working at the moment and it's uh it's really good to see and it fits a really nice feeling yeah yeah I, and, uh, and then we're coming into the ripening season aren't we? so this we're coming into the old sort of early harvest festivals of lunar so and, and and where the the ripening power of the sun is still there to bestow its blessings upon all of our apples and uh squashes and and you know i'm sure you've got too many courgettes we've got too many at the moment you know so there's a, so there's a all the best of the season is is there to be had any time of the year, isn't it? I guess. What about you? Have you had any? Have you had any thoughts? Have you had any bee moments? Ah, I suppose yes. Just reveling in all the forage, <laughs> in all the forage they're bringing in, and just noticing what they're working on, and you know thistles and and the the willow herb is just all up and down the river, and the bryonies are climbing through the burdocks and attracting nectar to each other in this great kind of symbiotic relationship and the i've got the kids eating pollen regularly which is great right yeah great (laughs) because it's like it's like it's like sweets for them you know but it's so nutritious and good for them yeah our our bee world is a happy world at the moment no definitely no it's been it has been an amazing 
amazing season. Uh, I've been watching them in the garden as well, just on different different plants and, and flowers that I hadn't really considered that they might be might be interested. You know, uh-huh. I mean, you can read all this stuff, can't you? You read, oh, they like this, they like that, and they like. But then, you know, to actually see them on that flower, to mm-hmm. on a mm-hmm. cornflower, for example, you know, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't really know they were they were that they were interested in cornflower, but they they do seem to like them here anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, amazing colour. Yeah, so uh, I wish I was good as you with a with a camera, Chris, because you know there'd be some great, great shots to be had. I just use my phone, Patrick. Yeah, no, no, but you, you, <laughs> you come to... up with some good pictures. You do come up with some good pictures. Yeah, sometimes. Talking of which, we've got a um, really exciting. We'll be getting the next episode out with Stephen Fleming, our trip on the drone congregation area, um, which is the the mysteries of of the drones and uh where the drones go um so just talk- amazing yeah. just amazing wasn't yeah. it yeah really really special fantastic day and uh we've um we've also got uh nicky campbell no nicky campbell he's a he's a, Gammons. He's, a, he's a he's a radio radio presenter <laughs> is he yeah and nicky gammons well, maybe 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 we should invite him, <laughs> invite him yeah see, see what he has to say about being about being <laughs> uh so we've got nicky gammons from the bumblebee conservation trust uh, and we've also got Gladstone, um, Gladstone Solomon. Yeah, uh, King Solomon. Yeah, King, King Solomon's Solomon. honey. Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, uh, I just want to get that one out as well. So uh, we're trying to get these episodes out. Um, we hope everybody's enjoying listening to them. You can listen to more, subscribe to us, rate us. Visit visit the website. Visit the website. See, you see photos of the people that you're listening to. Yep. You'll be you'll be able to see uh, the drone congregation area pictures and there's some fantastic stuff up there. So um, thanks for listening and uh, join us again on Living Big. Bye. Thank you. Cheerio. Bye bye.